so the rest of the world can hear me, I guess. It's good to be back again here in Holland. And tonight we continue to take up our study as we work our way through Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Previously, we have seen the context of what this chapter is all about. And we've looked at the definition of faith. And we have also begun to look now at some examples of faith that the writer gives us. We've seen Abel, the first martyr for the gospel. We've seen Enoch. And now we come tonight to a very familiar Noah. Noah. Turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to Hebrews 11, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. The scriptures read, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Before we go on, let's once again ask the Lord's help as we study his word together tonight. Father, we thank you again for your word and for its clarity, for its direction and instruction. We ask as we come tonight that you would help us again to understand your word. And Father, by the help of your spirit, faithfully apply it to our lives. Help me as I speak it to be plain and clear. Help your people as they hear it to give all their minds and hearts to the attention of your word. Bless us tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come, as I said, to Noah tonight. Noah is the third of the pre-patriarchal examples that the scriptures give us here in Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to do with him, as we've had with, done with the two previous men, we're going to look at his simply at his story tonight, go back and look a bit at the life of Noah, and then we're going to look at his faith. So we're going to look tonight at his story and his faith. And as we do that, let's begin tonight looking at his life. And the scripture gives us a lot more information about Noah than we had about our previous man that we studied about Enoch. The Bible tells us that Noah was the son of a man named Lamech and the grandson of Methuselah. And we, of course, saw last time that who Methuselah was, the, the man that lived the longest, recorded man that lived the longest on the earth. And the interesting thing to note about this is both Lamech and Methuselah lived up until through much of the time that Noah was building the ark. So we have a great overlap of Methuselah's grandfather, or excuse me, Noah's grandfather, Methuselah, and Noah's father, Lamech. Noah knew from what God had said that neither his father nor his grandfather would enter the ark with him. If we go back briefly to Genesis chapter 6, Genesis chapter 6, 
God had said this to Noah. He said to Noah, as he was telling him about building the ark, he comes to verse 18 and tells Noah, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives. Now, we may think on the surface, well, that's, that's a blessing. Noah was going to have his family, his immediate family with him. God promised him that in the ark. But there's something that may not initially come to our minds, and that who was not mentioned in that list? Where was Noah's father? Where was his grandfather? Where was all the rest of his extended family? Aunts, uncles, cousins, where are they all in that list? They're missing. They're not there. And I think it would be inaccurate, or at least at best, if not inaccurate, it would be a failure maybe to see Noah for who he really is if we didn't say he must have struggled with that to some degree. Did he not? Would not have Noah begin to think, well, I'm grateful for my sons and my wife and their, their wives to be able to go, but what, what about my father? What about my grandfather? What about the rest of my extended family? Are none of them going to be included in the ark? His father would live and die eventually about five years before the ark was completed. His grandfather would die in the year that the ark was completed. So Noah undoubtedly, to some extent, I'm sure, struggled with that fact. The scriptures tell us something about his birth. We turn back another chapter in Genesis. An interesting note in Genesis 5, 29. Look there and see what his his father had to say about his birth. Genesis 5, 29 tells us now he called his name Noah talking about Lamech his father saying this one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed his father believed that Noah would give comfort or rest from the hard work that was a result of the Lord cursing the ground due to man's sin. And yes, through Noah, the line of the Messiah would continue and consequently come. But God would use Noah in a very unique way. He would use Noah to save a remnant of mankind through his judgment. Scripture also tells us that at the age of 500, Noah had three sons. We turn Or look a few verses later in verse 32 of chapter 5, there in Genesis 5. Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now this is kind of an interesting statement that's made here in Scripture, because up until this time, God has recorded for us the man, and then his next son in the line, and the man, and his next son in the line, and so forth. And here, God changes the way 
that he gives us the information about Noah. Instead of saying Noah and then telling us about the son that would continue in the line, he tells us here Noah was 500 years old and he had three sons. And it appears what Moses is doing here is making a general statement about the birth of his three sons. We know, based on Genesis 11.10, and if you look over here, over a few chapters at 11.10, we know from what the scriptures record here for us about Shem. These are the records of the generation of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and became the father of of Ark, Arpachshad, excuse me, Arpachshad, two years after the flood. Well, if Shem was 100 years old, two years after the flood, then he was probably born about Noah's, when Noah was about 502 years old. So what does that mean? Does that mean the scripture here isn't being, is being accurate with us? No, it doesn't. It means that Moses is making a general statement here. When Noah was 500 years old, about 500 years old, he has three sons. And it's interesting, again, that Shem is the one mentioned in Luke 3.36 when we see the lineage of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, turn with me quickly over to Luke 3.36. Luke 3.36. And let's see just briefly the mention of Shem, Noah's son, his oldest son, in the lineage of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 36 says, The son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of so- Noah, excuse me, the son of Lamech. So Shem is the one who would continue in the Messianic line. Now the New Testament also tells us something about Noah, something that's not recorded much in the Old Testament, and that's that Noah was a faithful preacher of the gospel. Second Peter 2 Peter 2, chapter 5. Peter tells us this about Noah. And did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, because a reference to the flood, a preacher of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So what Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We know Noah well for building the ark, but the the New Testament tells us he was a preacher of righteousness. He preached the need for what? For men to repent and to put their faith in Christ, to avoid eternal damnation. He preached of that one who would come and bruise the serpent's head and would bruise his heel, the one who would save his people from their sins. Of course, we know what? Noah was most well-known for his building of the ark. God told Noah he was going to destroy mankind and the earth with a flood. Now, undoubtedly, when God told Noah that, 
I don't think immediately Noah just understood everything God was telling him. There had never been a flood like this before. Not anywhere near from what at least scripture records for us like this. So undoubtedly Noah was somewhat puzzled by, okay, a flood. A flood over the whole earth? What is God talking about? What's he saying? Maybe even as he began to understand more of what God's saying, maybe even somewhat saddened by what was going to happen. The destruction of all mankind? All the animals? With Noah in the ark? The remaining ones to be destroyed? Noah, however, believed God. Scripture tells us and did what God had told him to do. He built the ark. He and his family entered the ark with the animals God had brought to them. God brought the flood over the whole earth and destroyed all the men and beasts that remained outside the ark, just as he had said. Noah and his family were preserved according to God's promise. And of course, the time passed and the waters remained on the earth. And I'm sure Noah began to wonder for a time if and when those waters would recede. And over a year after God had shut the door in the ark, the waters of the flood had receded from the earth and Noah and his family exited the ark. God blessed Noah and his family and told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. All mankind would now descend from Noah and his sons. Sadly, we notice there is an event recorded for us at the end of Genesis chapter 9 about Noah. Noah 9, excuse me, Genesis 9, 20 to 29 about Noah and something that occurred towards the end of his life You'll turn there, Genesis 9, 20 to 29. The scriptures record, Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside the tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father And their faces were turned away, so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were 950 years. And he died. His youngest son, Ham, had found Noah after he'd become drunk and encumbered himself in his tent. Instead of discreetly covering his father, he told his brothers. They did cover him. But sadly, Noah had shamed himself, and his youngest son had not covered it over as he should have. 
And it did, would result in him and his descendants being servants to his brothers and their descendants. Sadly, much like other godly men in Scripture, we see here Noah wasn't perfect. Even in spite of his being held up as an example to us, as we'll see more in a moment, yet he wasn't perfect. He was a man just like us, a man born in sin, a man redeemed by the grace of God, and yet a man who still struggled with that sin. The Bible tells us, as we saw there in in verse 29, very little about Noah's death. We know very little about it other than he lived 950 years. And that the only other two men to live longer than Noah were Methuselah and Jared. He was the third longest living man recorded in Scripture. So that's kind of just a very brief overview again of Noah. And you say, well, why do we do that? Why do we go back? Why did you go back and do that? Well, as I've mentioned before, remember that the writer to Hebrews is writing to Hebrews. Hebrews who were well taught probably in the scriptures. They knew the story and they knew it well. So when he's writing, he's writing with that in mind. So as we're coming to figure out, okay, what is the writer trying to tell us? We need to have this picture in the back of our mind as we come to try to understand what the scripture's teaching us about Noah's faith. So let's look now at his faith. And the scriptures have much to say about that. And again, we'll go back to Genesis, to begin to look at Noah's faith and look at Genesis 6, Genesis 6, verses 8 and 9. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Now, when you read this initially, if those were the only verses you knew about Noah, you might say, wow, Noah was some kind of man. He was blameless. He was righteous. He walked with God. And indeed, he was a godly man. We might even be tempted to think he was some kind of super saint. Again, if that was all we We knew about Noah, but as we just saw, that's not the case. He was a man who loved God with his whole heart. And here again, as we saw last time with Enoch, is that term, walked with God. It's here used to describe Noah, as it was used to describe Enoch earlier. And remember, we also saw last time that it would be a term that God would apply to Abraham. In Genesis 17, 1, he would tell Abraham to walk before me and be blameless. Now, it's interesting to note here in verse 9 that this term walked with God is closely connected with both the term blameless 
and the term righteous, righteousness, or righteous. These words both refer to a way, a way that man lives his life before God. Noah was faithful to God. He not only preached the truth, the scriptures tell us he lived according to it, by God's grace, through faith. And this is what the writer to Hebrews wants us to get a hold of. And as we go back there to Hebrews eleven seven, he wants us to get a hold of the very fact that Noah was a righteous man, blameless before God, who walked with God. Verse 7 again, back here, says that God warned Noah. What did he do? By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen. God had told Noah a flood was coming. Noah had no idea what that was about. Other than he believed what God said. He'd never seen a flood. He had no idea that what God meant by a flood. He understood God was going to destroy mankind. But apart from that, he didn't understand what God was saying. God told him in Genesis 6, verses 13 to 17, all about how that flood was going to come. And again, how he was going to destroy mankind, the animals and the birds and everything on the face of the earth with the exception of Noah's immediate family and animals that he would bring to Noah. So God tells him in chapter 6 of Genesis, verses 18 to 21, to build an ark. Now that must have also been something, because as we think about that and as we read about that, we won't go back and read all about it, but that ark was to be something that would be equivalent to about one and a half football football fields long, about 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. For lack of a better word, that's huge. That is huge. Now, if you've ever had the privilege yet to go down and see the replica of that down in southern Kentucky, it indeed is huge which we've had the privilege to do, and it is huge. When you walk into that and you just see how you compare yourself to the size of that. So this, for Noah, again, this undertaking and what God gives him to do is really probably mind-boggling to Noah. You didn't just go out every day in Noah's time and build a boat that was 450 feet long. And I would dare to say there aren't many boats out here in the harbor that are 450 feet long. Matter of fact, I'm not sure you'll find any that are 450 feet long. That's huge. That's big. But that's what God gave Noah to do. And remember, as we've already said, Noah knew as he's building this ark and as he's looking ahead to what's coming, the destruction of mankind and this flood to cover all the earth. He's undoubtedly thinking about how this is going to play out related to his family, his extended family, friends, people he knows. None of them are 
God has not promised that any would follow him. None. And how he must have wrestled with that. Now, I'm not saying at all God, that Noah didn't believe God. He did. But I think it would be naive of us to think that, oh, Noah just, he was, he didn't have any, any kind of feelings for any of the rest of his family. He didn't even think about it. It didn't cross his mind. I think that wouldn't be realistic. I don't think that would be living in the same world that Noah lived in. Okay, undoubtedly he had some concerns about that. I don't know to what extent, but he did, I'm sure. And those things crossed his mind. Maybe even may have even to the to the point possibly where he struggled with do I want to even build this thing? I'm I'm going to get out of this and my family, but what about all these other people that I know and love? They're not going to get out. They're not going to be saved. Yet the writer of Hebrews tells us that Noah, in reverence and godly fear, built the ark for the salvation of his household. God warned Noah about the things he'd not seen, experienced, or understood. Yet Moses, in a very interesting comment back in Chapter 6 of Genesis, verse 22, says this, that Noah did all that God had commanded him. That, brethren, is probably one of the highest compliments a man can receive. He did all that God had commanded him. He may have struggled and undoubtedly did, He may have wondered, and undoubtedly did, but it did not stop him from doing all that God had commanded him. Now the writer continues there in verse 7 by saying that Noah's faith and actions condemned the world around him. Now some commentators believe that only Noah's faith was being referenced when that is being said there in verse 7. Others think that that maybe the writer is talking about his act, just his actions. But I think that would, both would be a mistake. The two, both his faith and his actions, are clearly connected. And you can't, as we've seen in the past, and will continue to see, you can't have one without the other. His actions, his willingness to do what God had said, even if it seemed unusual, convicted those around him of their need to repent and follow God in faith and obedience. Dr. Robert Martin, in his commentary on Hebrews, page 570, says this about Noah. His faith, uprightness, and obedience were lights that exposed his contemporaries' wickedness and unbelief. As a preacher of righteousness, his witness also condemned the ungodly. He preached, not that they too might build arks. I thought this was very insightful of Dr. Martin. But that they should repent of their sins and walk with God in faith and righteousness. Noah did what God told him to. 
Now, at the end of verse 7, we see something very, something very interesting. We see that Noah, the Bible tells us, became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. He became an heir of the promises of God to all his people. Again, he didn't earn this because of anything he'd done, but he acquired it through faith. He believed what God said was true and lived accordingly. He believed in the coming judgment on the last day. He repented of his sin. He believed all God had said about the flood, the need for the ark. So he built it. All with God's help, he became, by faith, an heir of righteousness. That is Noah's faith. Noah believed what God said was true and did all that he'd commanded him. What I'd like to do for the rest of our time tonight is to draw some lessons out from what Noah did in believing God and following him for us tonight. First is that faith Biblical faith demonstrates or evidences itself. It is the conviction of things not seen. How would you have known if you were there in Noah's time that Noah believed God? How would you have known that? If you were there seeing this man build this huge boat... And he was telling you that, yes, this is what God has told me to do, so I need to do this. What would you think about Noah? Would you think that he believed God? How would you know? Well, you say, I would know because of what he was doing. That's exactly right. And isn't that what the writer back in verse 1, was trying to say about faith. Remember what he said back there? He said, faith, what? Is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of what? Things not seen. Did Noah have a conviction of things not seen? He did. Did he not? He'd never seen a flood before. Yet he believed what God said and was doing just what God said. He preached judgment to come and the need to repent of sin, the Bible tells us in the New Testament. What did Noah believe? Had he ever seen a judgment? Had he ever seen a universal judgment of any kind? No. He'd never seen that before. And yet what? He preached and lived according to it. He believed in things that were not seen. Biblical faith demonstrates itself. It clearly evidences itself. If our faith is in God, we will live accordingly. And I think Brother Matt has already gone through 
James 2 probably by now. I know he was preaching through the book of James the last time I talked to him. But you remember what James had to say there, right? In that lengthy passage on faith? What does he tell the readers? You show me by faith. You show me your faith without your works. And you know what I will do? I will show you my faith how? By my works. You want to see that I believe in God and love God? Look and see what I do. That's how you know. Here Noah is being held up to us as an example of living and believing in things not seen. His life clearly demonstrated that he believed in the things God had told him. I mean, do you think the people in Noah's time might have thought he was a little, had a few screws loose maybe, in building a big boat like that for something that, something that had never been done and, and never been even heard of or anything? Do you think he might have been persecuted? Some, for what he did. Mocked, laughed at, scorned. Yeah. Do you see any parallel between Noah and God's people now? Does that sound any different as the way the world treats God's people now? Treats us as God's people? You ever run into anybody who thinks you as a Christian might not have it all there? Maybe you're missing a few screws? Think you're a little bit crazy? Yes? Unless I'm the only one that's ever had that experience, I would say you probably have. Yet if we believe in things not seen, in the things that God has promised, we will live like that. And when we live like that, the world does what? In the main, the world mocks, it scorns, It persecutes us as God's people. And Noah here is held up as an example to us to to be faithful and to evidence our faith by our works. The second lesson we want to try to draw out from Noah tonight is his perseverance in faith. Do you think Noah was able to build that boat kind of in a day or two or maybe a week? No. Roughly, probably somewhere between 60, 70 years, possibly longer, it took Noah to build the ark. Now, think about that. That's basically almost a lifetime for us. Almost a whole life. That's how long it took Noah to build the ark. And you know what? Scripture tells us he didn't stop. He kept building the ark and building the ark until it was finished. And as I said I'm sure that Noah received from those around him 
resistance, persecution, scorn, mocking, and other things. And I'm sure, as I mentioned earlier as well, he struggled with his own wondering about what is going on here. And I can imagine about 30 or 40 years into the project, when you've been going and going and going and going, and there's still a lot to go in building this huge thing, and you begin to say to yourself, wow, I don't know about this. You know, I love God. I, I do. But boy, this is, this is, I don't know about building this thing. But he kept going. He didn't stop. I'm sure he ran into obstacles along the way. I'm sure he just didn't get everything brought to him and, and all the pieces of the, all the wood go together and everything just go just perfect. Not a, not a problem, not an issue. Now, again, unless I'm the only one here, I know when you get into a project, they don't always go the way you plan them. And I know this was a project given to him by God, but I don't think there came with it a promise that, oh, it's just going to go smoothly, Noah, no, no problems. You'll get all the wood you need. You'll get everything you need. You know, won't be any, I'm sure there was that. I'm sure he ran into that somewhere along the way. And yet what? He kept going. He believed God. In the end, when it came down to those struggles and those concerns and those issues, he persevered. He persevered till the ark was complete. And in the words of Moses, he had done all that God had commanded him. He didn't stop. And he's held up here as an example to us Brethren of persevering to the end. God has promised that he's going to judge the world one day, that Christ is coming back, as sure as we sit here. And he's going to judge the world. He's going to vindicate his people. And he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth for them. Has anyone here seen that? I haven't. Do we believe it? Do we believe in things yet unseen? We do. We do believe in things yet unseen. And what, what we must continue to do, brethren, is in, either until the Lord takes us home, or if we have the privilege of being here when he comes back, whatever the case may be, we must persevere into that day. We can't throw in the towel. Remember, that's what the Hebrew Christians, that was part of their problem back there at the end of chapter 10. You remember that? They'd been persecuted. Everything, they, they'd, they'd help those in need. They'd help their brethren, all of that. And now they said, you know what? We haven't seen the Lord come back. What happened? Maybe this thing isn't for real. Maybe this isn't real. And the writer begins to press them and say, it is real. And the just live by faith. Christ is coming. But there was no guarantee given you that he would give, come in, his, in your lifetime. And that's when he goes back now to chapter 11. And give us the example. Did, did Noah see Christ come? Did he see the final judgment? 
in his lifetime? No. And neither would all the saints that would follow up until our day. He persevered in what God had given him to do, even as we must persevere in what God has given us to do. Continuing to believe in the things we don't see until, like Noah, we become heirs of righteousness as God has promised. Thirdly, a lesson we want to see from Noah is something else that verse 7 makes clear to us is that Noah's actions condemned the world. Now what, what do we learn by that? What, what do we see there by that? That it was not only Noah's words, and they were important, they were significant, I'm not at all trying to downplay that, but it, was just, it wasn't just Noah's words and what he told people that convicted them. What else convicted them? The scriptures tell us here his actions. His faithfulness to God and obeying him and doing just what God had said convicted those around him. Now how does it, what, what does the writer mean by that? What is he trying to tell us? That Noah's actions, by his being faithful to God and to his word, those around Noah saw that. They saw what he was doing. And what did those actions do? Not only did they support his words and his claims, but they did more than that. They brought conviction to the people around them. Why and how? How did that happen? Their consciences were pricked. Why? They saw a man who loved God and did just what God wanted him to do. And they knew they did not do that themselves and were convicted. The Bible tells us that Noah's actions convicted those people around him. What about us, brethren? Does that apply to us today? Yes, we need to be faithful in telling people the gospel. But it's not just the telling of people the gospel that convicts them. It's also living that gospel in front of them that brings conviction, along with those words. Noah, by faith, believed what God said. And he did what God told him to do. Those around him saw that. They saw Noah's life. They saw how he lived. They saw how he obeyed. And it brought conviction of sin to those around them, to those around him, and their need to repent. And that should be the same for us. If we are living according to the gospel we claim to believe, the gospel we speak to others, 
if we're living that gospel, God uses that living as a means to convict men. And even, as it says here, to condemn them. May God use our lives in that way as well, as a means to convict those around us and bring them to the gospel. Lastly, I just want to close with a word of great importance. If you're here tonight, and so far you're beginning to wonder, what has he been talking about tonight? Where is he coming from? You don't have a knowledge of Christ and who he is. Your faith is not in him to save you from your sin. You have no hope that one day when this world is judged, that you're going to be one of the ones living in the new heavens and the new earth. Your hope is not in Christ. I would urge you tonight, and I would plead with you, to put your faith in Christ. Noah's faith was in the coming Christ. He looked ahead to the one who would save him from his sin. We now have the privilege of knowing who that one is, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who came to die and rise from the dead that he might demonstrate what? Who he is and that he and he alone has the power to save men from their sin and no one else. And I would urge you tonight urge you in his name to believe in him, to put your faith in him. If you don't, you will be like those who are outside the ark in Noah's day. You will undergo the judgment of God, an eternal judgment, well beyond what you can imagine, an awful judgment, a horrendous judgment. Believe in Christ. Put your hope in him that you might be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again tonight for your goodness, for your love and your faithfulness to us as your people. We thank you tonight, Father, that you have indeed sent your son to die, to rise from the dead, that we might have life. We ask tonight as your people you would strengthen our faith. We would see Noah again and how he persevered, how he believed the things you told him and persevered in them till he completed what you'd given him to do. Help us as your people to persevere. Father, you know that the days are evil and that this world is no friend of ours. And we ask that you'd give us the grace and the strength to persevere in the way to the day that our Savior comes or to the day you take us home to be with you. Father, we pray as well for any outside your kingdom tonight. Use this simple message as a means to opening the eyes of the blind 
that they might see and believe for your glory, for the glory of our Savior, and for their good. In Jesus' name, amen.